We are in a series called uh, Honest Questions That Deserve Honest Answers. And uh, I, hope that, I hope that you're expecting uh, to learn something from this. I, as I study and go through this and prepare for these sermons, it's amazing to me uh, the things I'm learning, the things I'm taking in about where we are in history and society here in America and uh, the challenge that it brings. As I was preparing for it, the, what was behind, the driving force behind this series is where we are in a, as a nation, where we are as a church, where we are as individual followers of Christ, and not necessarily where we are only, but where the church is as a collective body throughout our region, throughout our, our town, our city, our state, uh, our nation, and the world, and what we can do about that. I've started uh, each message, and it may, may be every, every time I bring a new message in this, may not, but I've started these messages off with um, what I believe are some signs of the times, because I believe we are in the end times. I believe our time is short. I believe that the return of Jesus Christ at the rapture is imminent. That means it could happen at any moment. I don't think there's any prophetic uh, qualifications left to be filled before the return of Christ. And I believe that when Jesus taught in Matthew and in Luke that as the as the time of his return for the rapture of the church approaches, we're going to be able to see signs that tell us, that warn us. I don't believe those signs are necessarily judgment, although sometimes they are poured out that way. But I believe they're signs that tell us and help us to understand, first of all, as Christians, that the faith we hold is true, that what Jesus said in his word is true, that what he prophesied is true, that as his word says, when you see these signs, look up, your redemption draws nigh, so we need to be aware. But also, it should embolden us to be confident in our faith and to be willing to share our faith. Because I don't know if you've noticed, what we believe is not very popular. It used to be that people would be very kind, would be very almost passive, some might listen to you, others might just kindly put you off and say, listen, I don't, I just, that's just not for me. Now it's, um, maybe, maybe you haven't experienced this. I, I did, I, I had an, one of my former nieces, I don't, I don't know how that works after a divorce, are they still, still your family or not? But one of my former nieces put something on Facebook and uh, it was about one of the issues that is going on right now, uh, one of the, a certain Texas law that was passed. And I commented on it. And that led to a conversation with an individual, an honest, raw conversation about Christ and about his feelings on the matter. And it was very brutal. And he was, it was very flip and, and attacking until he realized I was serious. I was honest about what I was saying and I shared the plan of salvation. I don't know how many people read that, but I, I shared it because at this time in history, it's not a time for us to cower. 
It's not a time for us to give up, although it feels like that's a possibility now, doesn't it? Sometimes you feel like you just want to pull into yourself and into your family and into our little church and say, you know what? I'm just going to wait it out. I'm just, it's like, how many of you, I know Osvaldo played soccer. Somebody, I played soccer. How many of you ever played soccer? How many of you ever watched soccer? Watched the World Cup or something? One of the most frustrating parts of the game is at the end of the game when a team has the lead and they take the ball to a corner, right? Somebody takes the ball to a corner and they block it out. And they just block the players out as long as they can just to run the clock down. And I think sometimes as Christians, we can, we can get that way. I think the temptation nowadays is to get that way. Because people are not just not listening, they're hostile to what we believe. They're mocking about what we believe. They're brutal and vicious and openly antagonistic towards what we believe. And, and in fact, it's getting to the point where they're trying to legislate what we believe out of existence. That is a truth. You can, listen, I'm not a, I'm not, I don't deal in hyperbole. I don't deal in um, crazy theories and all that stuff. I deal in truth. And the truth of the matter is there are those who, trying to, who are trying to legislate what we believe out of existence. Rather than cower, rather than fade away and fall away and just get into a, a cocoon so that we can just run the clock out, I believe it's vitally important, it's incumbent upon us as Christians that we dig in, that we dig our heels in and say, listen, I'm not going back any further. You're not pushing me away any further. You're not pushing me back. You're not going to minimize me. I, I believe truth. One of the reasons I am bringing these prophecies to you, how they're being fulfilled, is so that you can understand that what Jesus said and what Isaiah said and what Ezekiel said and what John wrote and what so many of the prophets wrote is truth. And what you've given your heart and your life to is truth. And it is, it is worthy of your dedication. It's worthy of your study and preparation. And it's worthy of your willingness to stand up and speak out. If you'd stand with me as we read 1 Peter chapter 3, our text for this whole series, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 17, says, Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear them or be intimidated, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and reverence, keeping a clear conscience so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, as we step into your word this morning, would you give us open hearts and open minds, open spirits? Lord, this is an incredibly difficult time. Father, as, Lord, I grew up in the church. I grew up hearing sermons about the end times and about what it would be like. And Lord, it's, it, it, it just, uh, it, it's coming to life. And it just didn't seem like this. And I didn't understand how some of this could really come true. 
But Father, it's here and we're living it. And I pray that you will use these words, use our time in your word, use our own personal preparation as, as fuel for our spiritual lives so that we'll not get caught up in distractions and not be pulled away from the main purpose of our lives. But Father, that we'll choose to live you no matter what. Open our eyes to your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, as I've been doing throughout this series, I'm going to give you and share with you end time prophecy, which the purpose of which is to help you to understand the, the importance of us knowing what it is we believe, why we believe it, and how to share it. Now, if you, if you may have noticed over the last, especially the last two years, but over the last couple decades, things have been changing. And over the last two years, especially, it seems like weather has ramped up and gone crazy. Seems like so many things are happening. And remember, what, I, what, what the, the signs of the times are not, there, there's always been weather anomalies and phenomenon. There's always been earthquakes. There's always been hurricanes. There's always been tornadoes. There's always been crazy things. The key to understanding the end time prophecies is that Jesus said, when you see these things, when all of these signs are happening together, that's when we need to look up. Jesus is trying to wake the church up and he's trying to give a warning to the world saying, your time is short. Your time to come to me and make a decision is short. Now, I'm not going to take the time to read all the verses because there are so many of them, but in Luke, Matthew, Isaiah, and many more, the Bible says that changes in the weather are one of the signs of the end times. By the way, using weather as judgment has been one one of the things God has done all throughout the Bible, we see that. Obviously, he judged the world with a worldwide flood. He uh, held back rain. He did different things to, uh, to bring judgment or to get people's attention. And that's one of the signs of the end times. Now, i also tell you that the statistics and the facts that I'm giving to you, I did not get off a Christian website. Okay, So these are not some Christian individual trying to take things that are happening and massage them into them sounding like something that would make sense to get a point across. All the stuff I'm sharing with you just came off the New York Times site, came off the NOAA site, came off uh, USA Today, and all these things from studies that were done by those who don't necessarily believe in God. So if if you think weather disasters are getting worse, you're right. In fact, disasters caused by weather are hitting the globe five times more often and leading to seven times more damage than they did in the 1970s. How many of you, well, I'm not putting you on the spot here. How many of you were alive in the 70s? Yeah, man, in the 70s. Oh, come on, Melvin, you were. (laughs) Hey, listen, we didn't have this kind of stuff in the 70s. It wasn't like this in the 70s. The blizzard of 78 was a huge, was huge news. We still talk about it today. Man, that's happening all the time now. All the time. And that's according to the United Nations Weather Agency, the World Meteorological Organization. Of the top 10, uh, of the top 10 disasters, the hazards that led to largest human losses, uh, human life losses, during, the peri- during that period were droughts, 650,000 people worldwide died from drought. 
577,232 deaths from storms, 58,700 people died from floods, and extreme temperatures killed 55,736 people. In 2021, an intense heat wave hit the Northwest United States that was deemed a once in a thousand year event. That, how many of you remember the heat wave that hit uh, the Northwest, Washington, Oregon? That, that was deemed by weather professionals as a once in a thousand year event. In fact, 2021 was the hottest June ever recorded in the United States. Other heat waves in the world uh, include the highest temperature in June ever recorded in Moscow, Russia of 95, record-breaking heat in Siberia, record-breaking heat in Finland. Another event that we see have seen much of over the last two years, we were talking about this Wednesday night, wildfires. The Western United States uh, seems like the, Calif the, the California Oregon, Washington, it uh, seems like the place is on fire. The whole place is burning down. The Dixie Fire in California that is still burning right now is the largest fire ever in the history of California. Australia, remember last year Australia was burning? And we, what we talked about on Wednesday night a little bit, Siberia, in Siberia, Russia, of all the wildfires going on in the world right now, they are all, they are combined, they are all smaller than the wildfire that is burning in Siberia at this moment. Greece, Turkey, and Italy all are battling wildfires. In fact, what's crazy in Greece, their islands are on fire. Islands in the, in the Greek chain are on fire. In all these areas, the U.S. Northwest, Siberia, and the Mediterranean, we would expect to see some fires in summer. This is from a uh, Mr. Parrington. But the, the common feature this year is unusual heat waves and drier surface conditions, which means the fire risk is high. As a result, we see those fires burning for way longer periods of time than, would we, than we would normally see. The island of Fiji. Now, in the Pacific, they're called cyclones. In the Atlantic, they're called hurricanes. The island of Fiji experienced two Category 5 cyclones in a one-month period. Hurricanes, 2020. What, what didn't happen in 2020? 2020 was a record-breaking hurricane season with 30. The last 10 years have seen double the amount of hurricanes by yearly average, the last five seasons have been above, I'm sorry, the last six seasons have been above average. In 2021, how many of you, how many of you can remember just a week ago when Ida came through, right? Hurricane Ida decimated. Did you see how quickly that thing developed into a category four hurricane? It was like a meandering tropical storm and all of a sudden it's this huge monster that destroys New Orleans, New Orleans, whatever, Louisiana, Mississippi comes up. And do you see the, see the pictures from New York City? The, the incredible flooding in the, the subways? What I, and the, the tornadoes that it spawned in New Jersey. And it all, it, it, you can tell it's things that don't happen in certain places because people are still out there with their cameras videoing everything. 
Like, oh, wow, look at the tornado. I get a close-up view. Ida was just a week ago. I'm still getting the water out of my basement from it. Did you know that Ida's remnants caused record rainfall that broke the all-time record for rainfall in parts of New Jersey, Central Park, and other parts of the East Coast. Do you know when that record was broken? 11 days before Ida hit by Henri, the French hurricane. In the span, in an 11-day span, less than two weeks, those areas experienced record-breaking rain twice. Historic flooding has hit New South Wales, has hit Germany. If you saw the pictures of Germany, that was insanity. Six feet of mud. China, Mexico, Venezuela, New Zealand, Iran, Nigeria, Colombia, India, Pakistan, Nepal, Bangladesh, New York City, New Jersey, Connecticut, and Tennessee all have experienced record-breaking floods this year. Snow, as far as snow goes, there, were record, there was record-breaking snow in Madrid, Spain, and in Texas. Remember all the cute memes about Texas and their uh, losing power, their, what are their windmills, right? They didn't winter, who, who knew? They'd have to winterize their windmills in Texas. Did you know that that same cold, that cold snap, that Arctic air, reached all the way into Mexico? Something that doesn't happen? How about this one? In one week this year, the Sahara Desert saw snow twice. It's been over 37 years since the last snow up until the last four years. And it has snowed in the Sahara Desert every year over the last four years. All told, the world experienced 50 different natural disasters, 27 of them in the United States. Now, there's more than 50 disasters, but there were over 50 that caused more than a billion dollars damage each. So that's a billion dollars worth of damage from one event. There's been 50 of those. 416 weather and earthquake disasters in 2020 alone cost over $268 billion. In the last 20 years, that's 2000 uh, to 2019, major floods, destructive storms, and extreme weather events have more than doubled over the years 1980 to 1999. It's obvious that the weather is changing. One thing we're going to be talking about this morning, and we're talking about throughout this series, is Satan's deception, right? We're talking about how Satan wants to deceive Christians. One of the ways, listen, I'm not here to argue politics. I'm not here to argue the Green New Deal. None of that. That's not what this is about, okay? What this is about is admitting truth and what's going on. 
Whether you want to call it climate change, whether you want to call it a frigid winter, whether you want to call it a lot of water, I don't really care what you call it. As Christians, it is imperative that we investigate and come to honest answers about what's going on in our world today. There are those, there are many pastors who will from their pulpit preach that none of this really matters. None of this has anything to do with anything. It does. All of these things taken individually would cause chaos. But when they're all happening at the same time, folks, the same time, that's what Jesus told us to watch out for. It's time to stop arguing about whether man causes climate change, whether cows and their emissions cause climate change. I don't care if it's moles in Southwest New Jersey. There is change taking place in this world. It doesn't have to be political for you. It needs to be some kind of understanding about biblical prophecy and where we're at. It's time for Christians to wake up and see where we're at and understand that our time is short. This is real. This is really going on. And it's going on because God is trying to get the attention of his children and a world that needs him more than anything. So how does this, how does this all apply to these questions we need to answer? All these events are topics of conversation. They're topics of disagreements. Shall we just call them disagreements? Policy debate and changes in ways of life. In other words, these are opportunities for us to talk to our friends, families, and coworkers about where we stand and why we believe what we do. These are amazing opportunities for us to share our faith. But the fly in the ointment is this. We have to know what we believe and what we, need, what we believe needs to line up with the Bible. And that leads us to today's question. Why Jesus above all other gods? Why Jesus above all other gods? Now, that question is asked in many different ways and in many different settings. Some people may ask, well, why the God of the Bible? Why is the God of the Bible the one that you follow? Why is that one the right one? Why is he the one? Some of, you, some of your friends may say, why is she the one? Right? Why is Jesus the only way to heaven? I'm going to share with you some statistics that are shocking. At least shocking to me. Why is Jesus the only true way to heaven, the only true God? Why is this so misunderstood? Why are we losing ground? What can we do about it? Those are questions we need to answer. Those are questions we need to ask ourselves. Those are questions we need to research. Those are questions we need to have answers for. And this question, why Jesus among other gods, small g, is something that we must be able to answer if we're going to be an effective witness to this world and especially an effective witness in these last days. <clears throat> Throughout human history, it's estimated 
that somewhere between 8,000 and 12,000 different gods have been worshipped. These different gods generally fall into nine different categories or nine different types of gods. There are estimated to be approximately 4,300 different religions in the world. And you'd be amazed at, the, when you really start studying different religions, you'd be amazed how many people follow certain religions and how many people don't follow certain religions. Of those 4,300 approximate religions in the world, there are five major religions. There's Christianity, Islam, Judaism, Hinduism, and Buddhism. Those are the five most common religions throughout the world. Having said that and putting those statistics out there, how can we with confidence and assurance and surety say Jesus is the only way to heaven? Well, let's start with finding out how Americans feel about the issue of religion and Jesus being the only way, the God of the Bible being the only (laughs) one and true God. Approximately 85% of the world identifies with some form of religion. 85% of the world claims some sort of religion. If you, if you study uh, geopolitical uh, information, you'll know that some countries are uh, 98% um, Islam, 98%. Uh, Italy is overwhelmingly Catholic, uh, which falls into the Christian category. And on and on throughout the world, you go over to India, and it's a huge Hindu country. So over 85% of the world identifies with some form of religion, more than 60%. (laughs) This is where, this is, this is where you need to understand why it is so important for us to know what we believe, to know why we believe it and to stand firm in our belief because over 60% of people who identify as born again Christians, When you get into Christianity, I think we all understand this, but let me just explain it for those who might not and those who are watching us. Within Christianity, there are subsets, okay? Catholicism claims to be, uh, falls into Christianity. Um, They even put Jehovah's Witnesses into Christianity, although Jehovah's Witnesses really shouldn't be in Christianity because they deny the the deity of Christ. Uh, That is also Methodists, Baptists, uh, we're non-denominational. We are uh, under Christianity. Um, uh, Protestant churches fall under the the umbrella of Christianity. So Christianity has a wide net. But the subsets within Christianity are more definitive. And born-again Christians, in order to uh, understand the statistics and the devastating facts of them, you have to understand that these subsets these people, when they're asked these questions, have to meet certain criteria to fall into these categories. So when the Barna Group, who does does some of the statistics that I find, when they ask those questions and they categorize people, they ask them the important questions that a person must be able to answer truthfully in order to be categorized as a born-again Christian. Someone who uh, understands they were a sinner, who knows Jesus died on the cross for their sin, who has repented of their sin and accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior and believes they are responsible to share their faith. Those are the categories of born-again Christians. Those people would be categorized 
as a born-again Christian. We would say, we would honestly, if somebody gave us that testimony uh, here at New Life, we would accept them either for baptism or for church membership because that's the, the qualification. So when we come to this statistic that says over 60% of born-again Christians in America between the ages of 18 and 39 believe that Buddha, Muhammad, and Jesus are all valid ways to salvation, are all valid paths to salvation, I think you can understand that we have a problem. I think you can understand that when a born-again Christian, a person who claims Jesus Christ is their Savior, says, ah, Buddha's a way to, Buddha can get you to heaven. I think you can understand that we have a problem. Well, at least I hope you can understand that we have a problem. Now, I will probably get emails or messages because this is going out online, as I usually do when I say things like that, that say, basically, you're a terrible person, you're a bigot, and you're a superior thinker, and you think you're better than everybody else. I really don't. I'm as fallible as, I'm, <laughs> I'm more fallible. Ask my wife and, and kids. But I know what I believe, and I know what I've studied for years, and I know what has been proven in my life to be true. And I know from testimonies of others that this is true. So when I say that Jesus is the only way to heaven, and that's what the Bible teaches, I'm not being mean or ugly. I'm actually expressing the love I have for the souls of others. If God says that he is not willing that anybody should perish and go to hell, then that's the attitude I need to have. And quite honestly, as my friend Melvin Edwards tells me quite often when he gives me a Jesus slap in the head to get me back in line, I need to live my life and present myself in such a way that I'm not driving people away, I'm drawing them to. You see, it's not hatred or anger, but truth is truth. Truth is truth. And we have to understand and accept truth, live truth, and share truth. Of all those Americans who hold a biblical worldview, a biblical, claim that the Bible is true, that God is in control, of all Americans that hold a biblical worldview, 49% say that reincarnation is a possibility after death. <laughs> half, half of all Americans who believe that you go to heaven when you die <laughs> also say, well, <laughs> you're either going to go to heaven or you're going to come back as a moth. I don't know. 65% of teens and young adults agree that many religions can lead to eternal life. Over 30% say that either say they either believe that Jesus sinned just like other people when he lived on earth or aren't sure. Born again Christians between the ages of 18 and 50, 55 who hold a basic biblical worldview, which means they believe in God's attributes, the accuracy of the Bible, salvation, and Jesus being sinless, dropped from 47% in 2010 to 25% in 2020. In other words, in 10 short years, we lost 15% of that age group. And now we're down to one out of every four of born-again believers. Among the general population, there was a drop from 13% to 6%. So 
So you wonder why people are getting more animated. You wonder why people are getting bolder. You wonder why people are getting nastier and more attacking. Quite honestly, it's because the faith we, we subscribe to, the faith I live, I, I will put myself in this category because I don't want to classify anybody else. You have to make that choice. You have to identify the way you feel. Okay, just listen. My God is a God of love, but he's also a God of truth. And just because I share the truth does not mean I'm your enemy. It does not mean I'm anybody's enemy. It means I'm telling you the truth. We had people this past week in our region die because they didn't listen to the warnings. We had people in Louisiana and Mississippi this past week die because they didn't listen to the warnings. They didn't think it was true. I'll even, I'll even step out and not a political statement, just honest here. We've had people who don't want to listen to the warnings about a virus that is incredibly survivable, but also can ravage and kill other people. Say it's, it's not true. I just don't believe it. It's a conspiracy theory. Well, a man that lives, lived just around the corner from me, a good friend of mine died from this. So I believe it. I believe it exists. I believe you, you know what? Take precautions. You don't want to get a vaccine, don't get a vaccine. But protect yourself just like you would from any other sickness. I don't think it's, you know, I don't think it's going to wipe the world out like the movies. But I do believe if you don't want to get sick, you might want to protect yourself. It's that simple. I love people, but I love them enough to warn them. And that warning sometimes comes across as calling out lifestyles that are sin. Comes across as calling out lethargy as a Christian as sin. And people don't like that. I don't like it when people tell me I'm wrong. I don't like it when people call me out on my sin. I don't like it when people call me out on uh, my... Aaron is like... <laughs> When we're driving, whoo, I feel like I'm getting a driving lesson every time I drive, get in the car with her. Because she said, you know, I don't like it, but she's, she's protected us from an accident once or twice. Okay? Just because I don't like it doesn't mean it's not true. And we have to get beyond the personal feeling of not being liked and not being accepted and even being laughed at to realize that people are dying and going to hell. And the fact of the matter is you have the truth. You need to live it and share it and not be embarrassed by it. Because quite honestly, too many of us as followers of Christ living in the kingdom of God are embarrassed by what we believe. Research, now these are, these are, these are, Secular researchers who made this statement, I think it's going to be up on the screen. I believe I, I put it in there. Researchers warn, this is a direct quote from an article, not written by Christians. Researchers warn that beliefs, uh, the beliefs and behaviors of younger Americans, especially millennials, threaten to reshape the nation's religious parameters beyond recognition. In fact, this radical spiritual revolution has created a generation seeking a reimagined world without God, the Bible, or churches. 
John Lennon would be so proud. So how do we answer this question? How do we answer the question, why Jesus above other gods? Not among other gods. Why Jesus above other gods? Why should people choose the God of the Bible? Why should people choose Jesus ahead of all other gods? And, and I believe more importantly, why should we sharpen our focus and renew our commitment to biblical truth and biblical evangelism in these last days? See, I believe that that's what's happening. I believe we're fighting so much amongst ourselves. We're arguing so... Listen, if you don't think so, take a trip down south. Take a trip down south. First of all, you'll find very creative adjectives that can be put before the word Yankee. When we first moved to Missouri... I thought something must have been on my car because people would drive by and honk their horns and they would literally scream out at me, bleep, Yankee. Then I realized I still had Massachusetts plates on the car. And then talk to them about where you are from. And then talk to them about what you believe and how you feel. And it's just like what people say about having a difference of opinion, you better be either ready to pucker or duck because there's no middle ground anymore. Even in the church, in the church, pastors are fighting each other in public on, on, on social media and in the news. It is making national news. All you have to do is Google it and read it. USA Today, New York Times, all these places, pastors, evangelical pastors are fighting each other and calling each other names over whether or not it's okay to open your church during COVID. Two of them are in Southern California, just a few miles apart. You could probably catch both of their services in the morning on a Sunday morning. You see, as Christians, we have lost our focus. We've become so caught up in what's going on in the world that we're misinterpreting what's happening. God is not trying to distract us. It's Satan that's trying to distract us. God is trying to get your attention. And he's trying to get your attention and the attention of others. And he's trying to get you to sharpen your focus and get excited about the times we live in. I know, I know. They're brutal, man. They're brutal. And I think it's, I don't, I don't want to be Johnny Doomsday here. But listen, I think it's only going to get worse. Every time we go into, if I step into stop and shop, it's a divorceable offense. I have to be careful. I have to throw bags away and tear tags off. Because my wife is incredibly loyal. And she's a big Y girl. Okay. Every... <laughs> But every time we go into Big Y or some other store, and maybe you've seen it too, shelves that used to be overflowing. Do you remember the days when there were clearance sales? Because, I mean, it was just last year when there were clear, way back when, when there were clearance sales because there was so much of something 
that they couldn't get rid of it because they had something else in the storeroom to put in that shelf space because that's how some of these grocery stores make their money. People pay big money to have eye-level shelf space, right, chef? <laughs> they, they, the, the ones that have the most money pay. Brian used to work for Coke. Absolutely, he knew that, all those things. Nowadays, speaking of Coke, you know, there's a shortage, not because they don't have it, but because they don't have the aluminum cans to put, the, to put it in. And we're just starting. <laughs> Things are going to get worse. And we have a choice as Christians. We can either be distracted and go into, in, into hibernation and get frustrated and get angry, or we can sharpen our sword. And we can renew our focus and say, even so, come Lord Jesus. And while I'm waiting, and we're, we're not on my outline right now, by the way. <laughs> while I'm waiting, I'm going to trim my lamp and keep it burning. I'm going to be one of the wise, not one of the foolish. And I'm going to be ready. Because I don't know the hour that the master of the house is returning. But I do know that he's given me some hints. So rather than getting upset, rather than turning away, and I will even say this, rather than getting going crazy in political activism, which has its place, your priority should be to sharpen yourself as a Christian, to prepare yourself for battle, because what's at stake are the souls of your friends, your neighbors, your family, and your co-workers, and people you don't even know. How do we answer this question? Why should we care? Why should, we choose, why should people choose Jesus and the God of the Bible above other gods? And why should we get ready? My first answer, my best answer, really my only answer is this. Because the Bible tells us that he's the one and true God. He's the alpha. He's the omega. He's the beginning and he's the end. He is the great I am. He is the Messiah. He is the creator God. He is the warrior God. He is the savior God. And he died on the cross to bear the shame and sin of the world and pay the price of the sin of the world. One sacrifice for all sins for all time. And he ever lives to make intercession for his children. That's our best and really our only argument. So don't be intimidated or embarrassed to make this your defense, but also don't complicate things. The Bible can speak for itself if you let it. So let's talk about that a little bit. First of all, does the Bible tell us, does God himself claim to be the one and only in his word? 
Let's look, Exodus 15, 11. Lord, who is like you among other gods, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, revered with praises, performing wonders? Philippians 2, 9 through 11. For this reason, God highly exalted him, speaking of Jesus, and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. Isaiah 43 verses 10 and 11. You are my witnesses. This is the Lord's declaration and my servant whom I've chosen so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. No God was formed before me and there will be none after me. I I am the Lord. Besides me, there is no Savior. Pretty definitive. Pretty declarative. Pretty point blank and personal. Exodus 20, verse 3. Do not have other gods besides me. And I know we go off into, it used to be that we could take it for granted that people that claim to know Jesus as their Savior and, and attended church would understand that what he's talking about, we would make that application to say, listen, what we're talking about there is having idols in your life, right? Idols of uh, your job and money, idols of your possessions, even idols of your children or your spouse. And we used to come at this uh, that we used to come at this explanation that way, that other gods or idols in your life were other things. We can't take that for granted anymore, folks. We have an entire generation of young people that grew up in the church that claim to have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior that now believe Jesus, Buddha, it doesn't matter. Love wins in the end, so everybody's going. Can I tell you that the Bible says that Satan himself can transform into an angel of light. Can I tell you that the Bible says Satan will bring and give them a strong delusion. And he will offer lies for truth. And he will give you all the arguments you want and all the arguments you need. And they'll pass muster for most people because quite honestly, most Christians can't explain their faith to get themselves out of a wet paper bag. That's just honest. So when somebody comes along and says something, they jump up and, oh, wow, this is great. Wait a minute. Doesn't the Bible say in the end times, people would be saying, there's the Messiah. There's the Messiah. What they're saying is, there's truth. There's truth. There's truth. There's truth. I'm going to follow that. I'm going after that. I'm going down that road. And you water down and delude your belief to the point where, first of all, you don't know what you believe. Secondly, you don't really care what others believe. And what that translates into is people dying and going to hell. John 17, 3. Jesus, by the way, I hear a lot of people uh, when I'm talking say, I believe in God and Jesus, as if they're two different entities. God is triune. We believe in the Trinity. There are three elements to God. Don't ask me how to explain it because it's unexplainable. One of the great illustrations I've seen is an egg, right? And an egg, egg has, an egg has three parts. It has the shell, it has the, the uh, white, and it has the yolk. And there's three parts to an egg that make it one. God is three in one, 
three different parts of God, but he's all God. Jesus Christ was not just God's son. He is God. He is God in the flesh. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, capital W, and the Word was with God, and what? The Word was God. Okay? So make sure that when you when someone comes at you with that, or maybe when you say that, you understand that Jesus is God. That's incredibly important to our faith. It's incredibly important to the foundations of our faith. Okay? But in John 17, verse 3, it's Jesus' high priestly prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane as he is talking to the Father before he is taken and crucified. He is speaking and pouring out his heart. You remember the Bible says that Jesus was in such agony in prayer and such power in prayer that he was sweating as if it were great drops of blood. His passion in prayer and, and talking to the Father and, and preparing and, and getting ready for the crucifixion. It wasn't so much about the pain. It wasn't so much about the humiliation. It was about being separated from his father. It was about enduring the pain of God the Father turning his back on God the Son so he didn't have to look on the sin of the world. That's what this was about. This wasn't about Jesus being afraid. I've heard, I've, I've even heard <clears throat> evangelical pastors preach that Jesus was dealing with his fear. I, no. Oh, you, that's, you, listen, I don't care who you are, you're wrong. That's not what he was dealing with. He was dealing with the fact that there was going to be a time that had never been before and would never be again. That God the Father turned his back on God the Son and could not look on him because of the sin of the world. And Jesus, in great humiliation, in great humility, in great sacrifice, said, But Father, not my will, yours be done. He says in John 17, 3, This is eternal life. This is eternal life. This is the only way, is what Jesus is saying. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. That's it. That's all you need to know. Jesus Christ clearly in his word, God has clearly given to us in his word the fact, the undisputable, undeniable fact that he is the one and only. He is the one and only. He is the only one you need. He is the only one that can meet you at your need. He's the only one who saw you in your condition who saw you as a sinner without hope, without ability, without strength, without any possibilities. You were like the geeky guy at the dance who had no prospects of getting on the floor with a girl, right? <laughs> By the way, I threaten our boys right now because they're at that age. I threaten them. When they just want to keep arguing, I say, listen, boys, keep it up. And your first dance in middle school, I'm a volunteer to chaperone, and I'll dance. 
You don't want to see that. <laughs> Jesus saw you in your need. He saw you in your condition. He looked down through the annals of history and he knew you and he saw you. And in his great love and compassion for your soul, for your destiny, for your eternal destiny, he said, I will be the one to take responsibility. I will give my life a ransom for many because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I will pay the price that they can't so that they have the opportunity to choose me. No other God ever made that offer. No other God went to that extreme. No other God looked with love and compassion on you and said, you can't do anything about it, so I will. I will make a way where there is no way. I will bring a stream in your desert. I will give you what you need if you'll just receive it. That's the God we serve. That's the God we claim. That's the God of the Bible. We're going to stop there today. I hope that, that I'm, I've made a case that starts to cause you to ask yourself what you can do, how you can better prepare yourself, how you can turn this narrative on its head. Because listen, I'll, let, me, let me just be flat honest, people, folks, all of you, <laughs> church. I needed that to stay steady. <laughs> I've experienced the struggle. I've struggled this last year and a half. I've had those questions come to my mind. Wouldn't it just be easier to walk away, not deal with the abuse, not deal with the frustration, not deal with the mocking, Leave them to themselves. They've made their choice. But then I have to ask myself, and I do, and I, and I go on a, a drive or I go on a walk or I sit in my chair and I pray and I say, God, would you give me a burden for people? Listen, I know, I know, even in a church our size, we have people that just don't want to get along, can't get along. We're, we're, we, we irritate each other. Not me, because I'm a very amiable, loving guy would never take shots at people. Uh, we started it Friday, we started over at the high school working the lunchroom. And uh, I had to put some kids out of the lunchroom because they were Cowboys fans. And uh, one girl was wearing a, a Cowboys sweatshirt and I was like, there's a vaccine for that. I kid, be, I kid because I care. But. <laughs> I was thinking of Lewis and I bought a pair of shoes that were Broncos colors. That's a victory for him because that's like the only victory they'll have. <laughs> but I've had to, listen, I've had to really pour my heart out to God and say, God, this is tough. This is difficult. This is no fun. 
It's no fun when every word you say is turned against you, even when it's said in love. But I'm sure it wasn't any fun knowing what was ahead. I'm sure it wasn't any fun being beaten with a whip. I'm sure it wasn't any fun having your back ripped wide open and carrying that cross up a hill. I'm sure it wasn't any fun having someone drive spikes between your, into your hands and feet and having a crown of thorns placed on your head and dying for something you'd never did. So I have to check myself and ask God to give me passion for my purpose, strength for the journey, stand up, dust myself off, and get back in the fight. Maybe you need to as well. People are dying and going to hell, folks. We have friends and family, Christians, who are out of church and don't really care and are just kind of nipping at the edges right now. And we need to, can I just tell you, it's time to stop the, it's time to stop, it's, it's time to start being direct because we need all hands on deck. We'll finish this up next week, answering this question. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your, for your word and its truth. God, so many times it's so difficult. Lord, we're living in crazy times. And God, I'm the living, breathing example of the fact that it can get so discouraging and overwhelming. I know it can. Lord, you know the conversations we've had. God, I thank you for your faithfulness and your grace, but Lord, I know that there are people within our own church that are struggling with the same thing. Lord, it's difficult to get back up and get back into the fight, but that's exactly what we have to do. While your heads are still bowed, your eyes are still closed. Just gonna ask this question. Nobody's looking around, it's just you and me. God is watching as well. I just wanna ask you one question, not because I wanna judge anybody, because I wanna pray for you, I wanna pray for my church. I wonder if you just raise your hand and say, Pastor John, I'm really struggling right now with all of this stuff and with how to deal with it, and how to stay positive, and how to keep my focus on what's important and not get sidetracked. Would you please pray for me? Anybody who raised their hand, thank you so much for your honesty. Thank you for those honest hands. And I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Listen, you're not alone, man. This is tough stuff. And I promise you, I commit to you, that I'll pray for you. Lord, you saw those hands. You know the hearts. Father, would you pour out your spirit, pour out your blessing, pour out your comfort, and be what we need in this moment. Father, would you renew our commitment to you and impassion us and embolden us to speak truth, to live truth, to stand for truth. We ask all these things in your mighty name, your precious name, your everlasting name. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.